Hi, my name is Isabel. I'm your host for the ESG Quick Takes podcast, created together with Minlo. In this podcast, we touch upon specific issues around finance, business, and sustainability. In the last episode, we discussed how blockchain could play a role in the energy transition, as many companies are looking to switch towards renewables and reduce their footprint. But not every company is alike. For example, heavy industry like cement and steel is responsible for about 22% of global CO2 emissions. And to put that in perspective, this is greater than the CO2 emissions of all the world's cars, which is about 6%, and planes, which is about 2% combined. So for heavy industry, it's not just a matter of political will to address climate change. Instead, as we learn from looking up why this is, decarbonizing that industry is, is just not that straightforward. Heavy industry needs extremely high temperatures that are almost impossible to generate with today's renewable energy options. And that is why they rely on burning fossil fuels. So many processes in heavy industry, particularly in chemical manufacturing like cement, produce vast amounts of emissions as a byproduct. So to avoid this, they either need to change their production process or capture the emissions during the manufacturing. And heavy industry and the capital assets it requires have long lifetimes. That means that for many industrials, a 2050 net zero target sits just within one investment cycle. That means that compared to other sectors, more immediate action is required from heavy industry to see the same long-term results in decarbonization. And even if it's technically possible, profit margins in heavy industry are quite tight so investment in low and zero carbon technology is not always that available. So experts are working on solutions for those industrial players to overcome these challenges towards lowering emissions and becoming more sustainable. And one of them is Marnia Certo, a professor of industrial environmental management at Yale. Her research and teaching spans over decades and focusing on industrial ecology, and what a circular economy means for heavy industrial players. So building upon her previous research, she recently partnered with the World Bank to identify opportunities for industrial symbiosis. So that is whereby companies can exchange and reuse each other's material, energy, waste and water. And she's here to talk more about that. So welcome, Marianne. Well, thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. And I'd love to talk about industrial symbiosis. It's uh, my passion. Um, and it's uh, it really is a way for industry to follow some ecological principles, right? The word symbiosis comes right from biology. Um, and uh, we've, we've stolen it so that we can use it for industrial organisms, not just biological organisms. So, um, I guess what I would want to do is introduce industrial symbiosis. And the interesting part here is it engages traditionally separate industries, uh, industries that might just work in their own cluster, but it takes a collective approach. And we put all these companies together in industrial clusters and industrial parks and so forth. And there's apps that really stimulates the opportunity for physical exchange of materials, energy, water, waste. So in other words, one company's waste becomes another company's feedstock and 
um, or raw materials. And in that way, uh, there's a lot of resource savings and it's done you know, within a certain geographic proximity. There's no exact measurement, but of course, the nearer you are, uh, the more money you can save on transportation, the more emissions you can save because you're not, you know, you're not running as far. And all of that is part of industrial symbiosis, the benefits that we get um, from working with our neighbors. So there's also a community element. Uh, you have to trust each other in your local area uh, in order to be able to do industrial symbiosis. You have to think outside the box because you're no longer just doing, for example, a pulp and papers uh, cluster, but you've got to think about all the other industries that might be able to accept your byproducts and even make a profit on those byproducts uh, so that uh, there's more savings and, um, and better economics. So that's kind of a broad, um, a broad introduction. I think it's really important in the time of climate change, where we are now, where a lot needs to be done, especially in heavy industries like um, steel and cement. So let me let me approach those a little bit. Yeah. So maybe maybe on those industries that you were mentioning. So for those heavy industries, how does industrial symbiosis help with, for example, decarbonization or goals regarding lowering emissions? So it's a very important issue to because both of these uh, industries are heavy, heavy emitters, um, and yet they've also been quite active in trying to change. So I want to give them credit for that. Uh, steel. Uh, there's a really old example of industrial symbiosis between a steel uh, company and a cement company, and I you inspired me to go back and take a look at it. It's from the '90s, and sure enough. Um, the best way to explain it is that you want to manufacture steel, but in the process, there's a lot of that slag. You know, you're heating up the metals, and and so all kinds of things are melting together. And steel slag is the primary byproduct of steel making. So it ha- and it has many minerals that are melted in titanium and silica, and you know, very desirable raw materials. So if you can take uh, the steel slag and do something useful with it uh, rather than, you know, bury it is one opportunity <laughs> or, um, you know, other things, then it, then it becomes, a, it goes back into commerce and that's industrial symbiosis. And that's what we love to see. Uh, there are 8 million tons of steel slag being used every year, just in the U S um, f- for a whole bunch of products. And, um, and so, so this is, this is very positive, right? That we can, um, we can do this. And interestingly, um, the industries are very, very hard to decarbonize. So um, how does industrial symbiosis help with that, right? That's an important question. Um, And it's even really hard to manufacture cement without producing CO2. But there's definitely ways to reduce the CO2. So I'd like to talk a little bit about that. One thing that's that we can do is what several companies are doing, which is to um, run the manufacturing, the steel manufacturing at a lower temperature. And that way there's less energy requirement and there's less limestone and, and so which lowers emissions. And so that's associated 
if you don't do those things, then you're getting a lot of emissions. And if you do all those things, you can get something like a 30% reduction in emissions uh, in cement manufacturing. So uh, the link is strong uh, between steel and cement all over the world. Uh, these two are being thought of in tandem. When I, you know, when I look through the books, I see lots of plants in, uh, in China and Japan and, and, and uh, South Korea. And then also in Europe and Brazil and other places where uh, these uh, the metals are very important. So there's there's hope there, and there's something that can be done. Now another thing is even after the CO two is emitted, well, why not capture it at both ends? You're not just reducing the fossil fuel use at the beginning, but you're also trying to do direct capture and 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 get the CO two that's already been emitted. So that's kind of a life cycle look at trying to take care of those emissions from heavy industries. Interesting. And in the sort of end phase, what can we make out of that? Sort of what are the end products that we can make of the the, the emissions that come from the results? Well, the, the fun ones to say are things like uh, carbonated beverages, which uses CO2 and, um, you know, kind of more at the household level. There, there isn't a lot of that, but it's being experimented with a great deal. It's more likely that um, you know we'll use uh, substitutes in in making concrete. Now, so a lot of people don't know the difference between cement and concrete, right? Cement is part of concrete. So a lot of the research that's going on is how can you change the cement that's going into the concrete and and make it more beneficial? And just as I've said, in reducing emissions and creating other uses for the materials, there are a lot of byproducts. Uh, from these types of plants. And that's, again, the, the industrial symbiosis is all about finding uses for these product, these byproducts. That's great, yeah. And you referred to this a little bit earlier about sort of sim- symbiosis in the 90s because I remember well that you uh, said that you encountered this in the late 90s in Denmark. And then thinking back since then, how has industrial symbiosis evolved compared to when it's was first used? Ah, that's a great question. I think there's been, and especially even in the last two years, I would say, almost a rush in business to get a seat at that sustainability table and try to be working on something that's sustainable, even if it's not regulatory driven and even if it's not 100% economically driven right now. I think a lot of what the companies are doing now comes out of the concerns for climate. You've got to keep those farmers in business or you don't have any products, right? General Mills' biggest product is Cheerios. And if you're going to make Cheerios, you've you got to make sure you got to make the grains. And, and, and so they're putting a lot of effort into a regenerative agriculture, a lot of effort into pollination, because it's survival, right? It's what they have to do to be able to keep making their products. It's it's not like the early days with the the impetus coming from in, you know involuntarily from regulation, but it's coming voluntarily for for being able to uh, sustain themselves. So that's a big change. Um, the EU has been very active, especially in in what's known globally as the circular economy. That instead of you know taking something and throwing it away. You try to make sure that it gets reused, or at least at the length of time that that product that would have been thrown away, it can extend its life. You know, these are all p- things that people are measuring now, because we want to know the best ways to keep 
uh, what we already have in process, save on raw materials by reusing what's already come in. And so the idea of recycling is probably getting less exciting and the idea of reuse is getting much more exciting uh, across the board in, in, in the environmental field. Interesting difference. And then also the World Bank, right? Recently, you established this partnership with them between the Yale School of uh, for the Environment and the World Bank. So thinking about that, on which you will be working on, what can we look out for going forward? Yeah, the World Bank project is very exciting. And my favorite part is that for years and years in my research group at Yale, we collected up all the exchanges that we could, you know, an exchange being one company A throws something away and company B uses it, or they make a deal to sell it to each other. And that's becoming more important. And it's something that the World Bank wants to really increase across the developing world. So they're building over 300 industrial parks, eco-industrial parks now. Um, those, those industrial parks would, could gain so much if they could get together and um, work with one another. Last term, the, the World Bank gave us some data uh, in, from Morocco, um, an automotive business park and another business park. Um, my students just sat down and crunched it out. You know, how can we reuse kerosene? How can we reuse paint? How can we, re in this context, with these neighbors? So sure, lots of people do one-off things where they say, well, I'm going to take my my uh you know my my old computer to the uh, e-waste meeting you know the e-waste meetup but this is something continuous that you can do in industrial symbiosis with the people you know with the companies in the parks and so we found a, quite a surprising amount of potential exchanges that no one else had really mentioned and we're very excited about the paper we're getting out of this but also the idea that we're now going to continue to try to find more and more items. Our database, uh, so the World Bank asked us for our database, which had over a thousand exchanges, and we were happy to give that to them. Uh, I had a doctoral student there this summer who, who loaded them all up, and um, it's and what we want to do is just get more and more uh, onto, the, onto this new platform that uh, they've introduced, they're introducing because that way, every, you know, more people will know about it, more people will contribute, more exchanges, and it, so it will become even more relevant. And so this is kind of the, the most exciting project because this platform is open access. Honestly, a lot of businesses like to keep this kind of information confidential because it's, you know, it's, it's intellectual property for companies. But for our university and the World Bank, you know, these are things that at least we can stimulate Everyone, you know, it's, it's not that we're going to go in there and say, oh, well, you can do exactly this and charge that, but we'll, but we'll go far enough to show the ideas that uh, people can use and benefit from by saving water, you know, selling byproducts. These are, you know, great business things to be doing. They're not conservative or liberal. They're just good business and that are then also good for the environment. Yeah, that's great. So in a more general sense, um, you speak a lot, right, about the importance of looking at the full value chain of production and the physical resources that can be reused and the positive impact that has on the environment. But you also make the point that industrial symbiosis 
can have financial and economic goals as well, as you said. Like it's not just liberal or conservative. It is it makes business sense. So what can we, for example, as investors, take away from your research in the sense of identifying and sort of seeing the characteristics of industrial players that are best positioned for the future financially, but also with environmental goals in mind, thinking about their sort of potential use or their use of symbiosis? There are many ways that uh, industrial symbiosis, as long as we're reusing products and we're not harming the environment, both are very important, we can reduce carbon emissions. Importantly, if we're not making new shoes all the time, but we'll be able to, to fix our old shoes, then we, we're saving the impacts from extraction and, and the processing of virgin materials. So right from the start, whether it's, you know, whether it's steel or whether it's shoes, which you know, are often imported into the U.S., you know, uh, the, these are all ways to think about the breadth of the economic breadth of industrial symbiosis and, and how much can it save. You know, I could tick off lots and lots of steel and cement plants and say, oh, the one I visited most recently in South Korea saves 200,000 tons of CO2 per year because they're reducing electricity. They, they reduce water consumption. So when you put all these benefits together, that's really the package, I think, that shows that it's promise for the economy as well as for the environment. And, and I could even make an argument, I think, about risk reduction. I want to make a case for uh, reducing business risk and climate risk because local sourcing of byproducts uh, can be very helpful, especially when your global supply chain isn't working very well. I think that having the alternative of also local products allows uh, more resilience to companies because they'll have more sources, right? There are also the problems about um, you know, resource scarcity. And you know, when there's a drought or a flood, it's hard to get things. And so um, if you can replace the virgin materials that you thought you needed with byproducts, the things that work are known to work, and there's so much experimentation going on, on about this in the, in the world, then uh, you can move from the sort of high costs that are going to be charged to you if you're in the, um, you know, in the global supply chain right now, and um, instead, you'll be able to, you know, save money and and because you won't be so reactive to the resource scarcity. You know, India and China have so much coal and they don't have much else. I mean, in, in China doesn't have much else as natural resources go uh, for energy. So, um, yeah, there, there will be coal spots. And that's why it's good to know about these things like coal ash and, you know, how it helps the reduce cement emissions and so forth. So yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of everything's connected to everything else. That's the message of ecology and, and industrial ecology. It's an ecosystem. Yeah, it's an ecosystem. It's like kind of be friends with your neighbors and, um, <laughs> and, and, uh, and borrow the sugar when you're out of it. Yeah. yeah, this was really great. Thank you so much for, uh, for all your um, in, uh, explanations and insights. Uh, we're going to post uh, the link to your research in the show notes and um, also uh, the project with the World Bank that uh, Gerto is uh, doing. And um, yes, again, thank you so much for, for joining us. This concludes the ESG Quick Days podcast. Thanks for tuning in. 
This podcast is brought to you by Arabesque. We also have another podcast called Access AI. You can check the link to that podcast and the resources in the show notes. Until next time.